it's hard to stop a train. T-R-A-N-E. Remember those commercials, anybody? If you remember those commercials, say hi. Okay, hi. Um, great commercials. You should look them up on YouTube sometime. Here, here's what the announcer would say. Every train system. These are air conditioners. Train air conditioners. Every train system is tested in some of the most extreme conditions found in nature. We freeze, broil, stress, drop, shock, expose, listen, and finally take them home with us to ensure they're truly unstoppable. And the commercials are great. There's this big desert and a couple of scientist-type guys in hazmat suits with some scientific-looking equipment and stuff, and they're going to do tests on train air conditioning units. So one of them, there's a train air conditioning out there, uh, air conditioning unit out there in the desert, and this plane flies over it and drops liquid napalm fire all over it. Unstoppable. There's another one uh, where they put the train AC unit in a big swimming pool, and it's running while it's underwater, and then, um, and then a helicopter comes and drops a boat on it. Unstoppable. Um, there's another one where they hook it up to a, uh, a lightning rod and lightning strikes and zaps it. I don't know how they got that to happen. But anyway, unstoppable. My favorite one, though, is when, by remote control, they drive this 16-ton passenger bus, and it's hurtling toward the AC unit, hits a ramp, and belly flops on top of the AC unit. Unstoppable. Um, Today, Paul, in verses 12 to 18, is going to use himself as a commercial, so to speak. Uh, the apostle himself is an advertisement that says that no matter what you throw at it, nothing stops the gospel. It's hard to stop the gospel. So, um, we're going to look at that in a minute. He uses this word advance, um, and... Uh, Advance is a military term that describes uh, the process of knocking down trees and every other obstacle to make way for an advancing army. That's the gospel. That's what it does. It advances. So if you would look with me at Philippians 1, 18, uh, 12 to 18, hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice.
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul starts with this. I want you to know, brothers, that what, is really, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul, Paul knows that they're worried about his well-being. And so he wants, he wants to reassure them. But more than he wants to reassure them that he's okay as they're worried about his well-being, Paul's worried about their well-being. And it's not their physical well-being or their financial well-being. There's something else that Paul is concerned about for the Philippians. And he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel because Paul worries for them that they seem to think Paul's comfort is more important than the gospel's advance. That concerns him for them. So Paul wants to turn their concern for him into confidence in the gospel. And the question is, so he says, what has happened to me? What has happened to Paul up until this point? Well, here's just a sampling of the suffering that that Paul had experienced over the previous five years before he wrote this letter from a Roman prison. This is Paul's own words from 2 Corinthians 11. This is what's happened to Paul. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, lest one. That's where his imprisonment started in Jerusalem. Spent two years in a Roman prison in Caesarea before he came to Rome. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And now, Paul sits under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman soldier. And Paul reflected on all those sufferings and said, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It's so unexpected, and that's why he uses that word, really. Uh, It's really served to advance the gospel. I I know what these chains look like, but let me tell you what all of this adversity really means. Paul says, when you have an unstoppable gospel, setbacks are really steps forward. When you have an unstoppable gospel, adversity is really advancement. When you have an unstoppable gospel, Loss is really gain. And I want you to know, Mountain Fellowship, uh, that your elders spent eight hours together yesterday, bless their hearts, um, spent eight hours together yesterday praying together for each of you by name, talking together about this fellowship that we love so much, listening together from Philippians for what God might be telling us through Paul, thinking hard together about what our church needs and what God is moving us to focus on in the coming months. 
And the first thing we did as we had breakfast together was to think back over the last nine years at all that God had done from the first day until now in Mountain Fellowship. And uh, I asked them to tell me some of the stories. See, all of our elders right now, except me, were here when it all started. Um, and so they told stories of hard things and of God's faithfulness through it all. And that was the theme that came out to me in the stories they told was that this church was born out of a good bit of adversity. I won't go into all the details. If you were here, you know what that means. Um, but Mountain Fellowship was, was born in adversity and has experienced some adversity throughout the years. But story after story that they told said this to me. All of the hard things that have happened to Mountain Fellowship have really served to advance the gospel in and through Mountain Fellowship. That was encouraging to me. Alistair Begg said this about verse 12. He said, Paul is not preoccupied with his own predicament. His preoccupation, if any, is with the well-being of the church. Paul's not preoccupied with his own predicament. He's preoccupied with the well-being of the church. Not just the church in Philippi, but the church. And that encouraged me to, to hear that because the burden of my heart for Mountain Fellowship in all of the chaos, in all of the confusion and confinement and conflict of this crazy thing called 2020. My burden has been that our church would be the fellowship in the gospel that we talked about last week, that we would be the fellowship in the gospel that God has called us to be, regardless of what's going on all around us. Um, and actually, because of what's going on around us and for the sake of the world that is around us, my burden is that we would, we would be the fellowship that God has called us to be for such a time as this. And so I, I, I pray, God, would you please refresh our fellowship Refresh Mountain Fellowship, God, by unifying us in Christ around his gospel and by his spirit. Would you do that? Lord Jesus, please refresh us so that we might turn and be a refreshment to others. So that we might, as Paul says, shine as lights in this crooked and twisted generation. I wrote this, I want to be a pastor and I want us to be a church who are not preoccupied with our predicament, but rather preoccupied with how God wants to advance his gospel in us and through us. Lord, have mercy and do that in us. And so Paul shows us that there are three ways 
that what had happened to him turned out to advance the gospel. The first is in verse 13. He says, so, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Literally, he says, my imprisonment is in Christ. And so Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He's, he's allowed to have visitors, um, and they come. People from all over the world, the church Christians from all over the world and all over Rome come, and they bring him food uh, because apparently what they served in Roman prisons was not enough to survive on, so people brought him food, people brought him gifts, people brought him financial support, they brought reports from the churches about how the gospel is growing and renewing people and places and things. So he's in house arrest, and there's a bit of freedom. He's able to write letters. But three times in these verses, Paul mentions my imprisonment, literally my chains. He has to be chained to one Roman soldier after another as they take shifts every few hours. And so Paul begins to talk to these, to these guys. <laughs> Talk with him about why he's there. They recognize he's no common criminal. This is strange. Paul explains that these are not Caesar's chains that bind him. These are Christ's chains. I'm in these chains because of Christ, he says. And guess what? Christ brought me here so that you could hear the good news about him. How else would the imperial guard and almost all of Caesar's household, as he mentions later, how else would these guys hear the gospel? These are not the kind of dudes who are going to show up at a gathering like this or find some gathering of Christians in Rome, which is probably in the poorest part of town, and say, hey, can you tell me about this Jesus who was crucified on one of our crosses? It's not going to happen. It's impossible. They're not going to come to the Christians. They're not going to come to the gospel. But Jesus is going to send Paul to them, and he's going to chain Paul to them. That's so funny. And so what if... They listen to Paul tell the story of Jesus' life and crucifixion and resurrection from the dead. You mean to tell me that this Jewish carpenter who was, as you say, falsely accused and died on one of our crosses rose again on the third day? Yes, says Paul. And I met him. There was that day on the Damascus Road where he showed up the king showed up, knocked me on my rear end and said, why are you persecuting me? He's alive. And what if they hear Paul talk about how he used to hate Jesus and those who followed him and how he used to persecute Christians and put them in prisons worse than this one? 
And what if he told them how he used to hate Gentiles like these guys, like you Roman soldiers? I used to hate you guys. And they're like, well, that's fine. We hated y'all too. You know, The feeling's mutual. But how he wouldn't even come close to one of them for fear that he might touch them and become unclean. And what if they see humility in this man, in the way he talks to them, in the way he's kind to them? in the way he takes interest in them, in the way he receives their insults, which surely they must have given him, receives their insults with grace and patience. And what if they listen to his joy in Jesus in the songs he sings in the middle of the night? And what if they see how the followers of Jesus throughout the world visit him and send him gifts and support and care for him? And what if they overhear Paul talking with Timothy and Epaphroditus about the Christians in in Philippi and, and how the gospel is spreading throughout the whole Roman Empire? Oh, and what if they what if they heard Paul praying for the churches? What if they heard Paul praying for them? So what if they hear the good news about Jesus at the same time that they see a man who has been transformed by Jesus? What if they see and learn that Paul considers himself in Christ more than he considers himself in chains? Because that's what they saw and that's what they heard. As Paul said in a letter to Timothy once, I may be bound with chains, but the word of God is not bound. (laughs) Dick Lucas said, it must be very baffling to be the devil. To know that all you can do, the worst you can do, if it's received by Christians in a yielded and humble and faithful way, can only in fact serve to advance the gospel. It can only, in fact, do the opposite of what you intended. It must be very baffling to be the devil. So the first way the gospel was advanced was in the ranks of the imperial guard all the way into Caesar's palace because Jesus chained Paul to a couple of Roman soldiers. The second way that all that happened to Paul turned out to advance the gospel is in verse 14. And most of the brothers, he says, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear, the word about Christ. You see, the gospel was not only advanced through Paul as he proclaimed it in prison, the gospel was also advanced by those who were encouraged by the way Paul lived in Christ even while he was in chains. And look what Paul says that his chains did for the Christians in Rome who watched Paul live out this gospel first in Christ mindset in the middle of his suffering. They have become confident in the Lord, Paul says. There it is. Their confidence is not in Paul. Their confidence is in Jesus. This word confidence means to be persuaded to trust or or one over to trust something. 
through Paul's example, Jesus had won them over to trust him more. So much so that they would not have fear to share the story of Jesus, but speak it boldly. If Jesus can so transform and captivate a man that he's willing to suffer to see others know the good news about Jesus, what must, what must that say about this Jesus? If Jesus is that powerful in Paul, and if Jesus is that precious to Paul, then I want to trust that Jesus. I want to put my hope in that Jesus. I want to put my confidence in that Jesus. Have you been won over by Jesus so much so, so overwhelmed by his power and his preciousness that you have confidence in him? And look at what the increased confidence in Jesus did in these Christians in Rome. Paul said it made them much more bold to speak the word about Jesus without fear. And this is so convicting. First of all, because Paul is suggesting that the apostles and preachers aren't the only ones who should speak the word about Jesus to people. Every Christian has that calling. But it's also convicting in another way because it shows that my fear to speak about Jesus to others not only comes from a lack of boldness to speak of him. I get that. I'm not very bold. I'm fearful. But what's really convicting is that my lack of boldness to speak about Jesus ultimately comes from my lack of confidence in Jesus. My lack of trust. Have I been won over to trust him? Oh, Jesus, help, help us forgive our, unwill, our unwillingness to speak about you. But even more, forgive our lack of confidence in you. The third way that what had happened to Paul served to advance the gospel is in verses 15 to 18, which show us that Paul was confident in the, in the Lord Jesus that the unstoppable gospel is not only advanced by adversity from those outside the church, but even by adversaries inside the church. Now, this gets interesting. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Now, Paul is, not, Paul is not here talking about uh, the preaching of a false gospel. Um, in Galatians, we know how he feels about that. He says, you should be damned for preaching a false gospel. Here he's talking about the true gospel about Jesus being preached for selfish motives. Believe it or not, there were other preachers of the gospel who were jealous of Paul, who thought perhaps, hey, while, while Paul's in prison, 
let's take this opportunity to build our ministry. After all, it's obvious that God is not blessing Paul's ministry right now. These people need us to help them. I mean, look at, look at how he struggles, some, some apostle he is, right? Um, it's hard for us to imagine that, Paul, that people would think of Paul this way because from our perspective and from the perspective of history and the New Testament, we look at Paul and we think, he's, he's a giant. He's, he's the man. <laughs> and we're, we're kind of in awe of him. But his contemporaries were not all that much in awe of him. They're, they were not all that impressed with him. We, we learn from his other letters that people flocked to other favorite preachers, like, like we tend to do. Uh, Paul would not have gone viral in our Instagram world. Tradition says that he was short and hunchbacked. Not Instagram worthy. Many think that Paul's thorn in the flesh might have been an ugly eye disorder or some other physical problem. He was not known as a great speaker. And other preachers would point out uh, all the many tragic events in Paul's life as signs that his ministry was not so successful that. God's not really blessing his ministry. He would not have been invited to speak at national pastors' conferences. And even Peter said that some of his writings were hard to understand. How did Paul deal with this kind of jealousy and competition among his fellow preachers. I love his response. His response is, what then? In other words, what of it? <laughs> oh, well, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, I don't care who's preaching it, that Christ is proclaimed. As long as Christ is proclaimed, you can have at it. In that I rejoice. I rejoice in Christ being proclaimed. That's unbelievable. As long as you are truly preaching Christ, even if you're doing it to compete with me, all I care about is that people hear the good news about Jesus. All that matters to me is that Christ is proclaimed, that the gospel advances, in that I rejoice. The only way that Paul became a man whose primary passion is to see the good news about Jesus advance through him is if the good news about Jesus had already been advancing in him. Look at this. The gospel is advancing through Paul's proclamation in prison, but it had first advanced in Paul with power to transform him, to renew him, the good news about Jesus shaped Paul into a man who rejoices. He says it twice in verse 18. Even in his loss of comfort and freedom, he rejoices. The gospel power transformed him into a man whose greatest concern is 
not primarily for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Into a man whose driving passion is that the gospel would be proclaimed for the sake of transforming and renewing others just as he had been transformed and renewed. Paul became a man who could say with John Newton, everything is necessary that God sends our way. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. And the Holy Spirit gave us these words and this example from Paul because God's burden is that we, Mountain Fellowship, become a church who believes that when the, when the gospel advances in us, it will also advance through us, no matter what adversity or adversaries come against us. Pray that we'll be that kind of church. Have you heard of Johnny Erickson Tata? Raise your hand if you've heard of Johnny. Um, Johnny's story is a great picture of how the gospel has advanced both in and through her because of, not in spite of, her adversity. For as many decades as I've been alive, Johnny has lived as a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down, bound to a wheelchair. And she still remembers vividly the night she first referred to that chair as my chair. She was finally beginning to receive the chair as a blessing from God and not a curse. Paul had his chains, Johnny had her chair. She said, I welcome my trial as a friend. Who says that? And 53 years later, Johnny knows what has happened to her really has served to advance the gospel. Listen to what she says. Too many people with disabilities are floundering in hopelessness. That's why I wrote the Johnny book. And if you've never read Johnny's book, her story, I encourage you to go get it and do it. And especially teenagers, read it. It's, it's fantastic and will encourage you. Uh, she made a Johnny movie and she said, and that's why I started Johnny and Friends, which is now a, an international Christian ministry to the disabled. She said, I wanted to show these people what the gospel looks like. And that sound like Paul? Now every day, she says, when I wheel into the Johnny and Friends International Disability Center, I, I try to squeeze every ounce of, my, of ministry effort from my quadriplegic body. It, she said, when this was written three years ago, she said that this summer, Johnny and Friends will hold 27 family retreats in the United States, and 23 in less resourced nations, reaching thousands of special needs families for Christ. Christian physical therapists will serve on our Wheels for the World teams in more than 40 countries, delivering Bibles, giving the gospel message, and hand-fitting wheelchairs to needy people with disabilities. Hundreds of our Cause for Life interns will work in orphanages overseas, showing that spina bifida isn't a voodoo curse, and people aren't better off dead than disabled. The gospel had advanced through her adversity. And why does she do this? She says, because Jesus is ecstasy beyond compare, and it's worth anything to be his friend. 
Johnny said, once my husband Ken and I were at our Johnny and Friends family retreat in Alabama. We were lunching in the big noisy dining hall when a college-age volunteer approached me holding a kid with Down syndrome on her hip. She gestured at, gestured at the crowd and asked, Miss Johnny, do you ever think how none of this would be happening were it not for your diving accident? Johnny says, I flashed a smile and said, it's why I thank God every day for my wheelchair. Who says this? What is it about Jesus that enabled Paul 2,000 years ago and enables Johnny now to live and love this way? Johnny explains, she says, back in the 70s, my Bible study friend Steve Estes shared 10 little words that set the course for my life. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Steve explained it to me this way. Johnny, God allows all sorts of things he doesn't approve of. God hated the torture, injustice, and treason that led to the crucifixion of Jesus. Yet he permitted it so that the world's worst murder could become the world's only salvation. In the same way, God hates spinal cord injury Yet he permitted it for the sake of Christ in you as well as in others. Like Joseph, when he told his brothers, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. Friends, what changed Paul and what sustains Johnny is the cross and resurrection of Jesus. I love how Dick Lucas speaks of the cross. He says, in the cross, Satan seems to do his worst. It was the worst crime in human history. He says, the worst thing that man has ever done toward God, and yet it becomes in the mercy and sovereignty of God, the greatest thing that God ever did for men. It becomes our redemption, and it simply illustrates the fact that you can't defeat God. The gospel is unstoppable because God is unstoppable. And this is what shaped Paul to be the kind of man who could say, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I'm happy about that. The crucifixion of Jesus, the worst thing that humans have ever done to God has become by his resurrection, the greatest thing God ever did for humans. The crucifixion of Jesus, the most hateful thing that humans have ever done to God, by his resurrection has become the most loving thing God has done for humans. And whatever hard or hateful thing happens to us, it will only serve to advance that good news and the grace of Jesus in us and through us, that's the promise. It's hard to stop the good news about Jesus. It's impossible to stop the good news about Jesus and what it will do in you and through you. Father, help us to have confidence in Jesus. 
that all that he allows, all the adversity and even the adversary, would work together to advance the gospel in us, to advance the gospel through us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.